Thank you for downloading this sermon brought to you by the preaching ministry of Liberty Baptist Church of Las Vegas, Nevada, Dr. David Tice. For more sermons in both audio and video format, we encourage you to visit experienceliberty.com. Also, for a word of encouragement, insight, and biblical inspiration, follow Pastor David Tice's blog at davidtice.com. So without further ado, let's open our hearts to the Word of God. Woo! Man, if you can't preach after that, you should start selling insurance, because that, that is good stuff right there. I hope that you have been spoken to by the Word of God this morning to praise and lifting up our Savior. That was good, team. I'm just so impressed with that. I just thank the Lord. What a great God we serve. Let's give Him some praise. Man, not that selling insurance is bad. I'm just saying my insurance guy's in church today, and I, I felt bad after I looked up. But I just, man, so good. You got your Bibles? If you do, open them up to the book of 2 Kings chapter 2 this morning. I'm so thankful you're in church today, and I hope that you are uh, encouraged by being here, and I hope the Word of God speaks to you. This lesson today has already spoken to me. It's ministered to me in a number of different ways, and I just hope that I'm able to communicate the truths that God shared with me this week, and uh, I hope there will be an encouragement to you. I saw we, we brought all of our guests and put them on the front row this morning, so guests, I thank you for being in the front row, and uh, we're glad that you're here, and uh, normally we'll try to, all the good Baptists got here earlier in the back seat, so uh, I'm glad you're here this morning. Second Kings chapter chapter number two, in verse number nine, the Bible says this, and it came to pass when they were gone over that Elijah said unto Elisha, ask what I shall do for thee before I be taken away from thee. And Elijah said, I pray thee, let a double portion. Would someone say double portion? Let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. Today, we're going to look at the subject of miracles. We're going to see what God says about miracles as Elisha said to Elijah, I want God to work in my life, not to your level, twice as much. We're going to look at miracles today. Father, I pray that you would work in the time together today. We yield ourselves to your Holy Spirit. Speak through your word. Uh, Allow this place to be free of distractions so that we can take from this place what you want for us to carry throughout this week and uh, hopefully throughout our lives. May the words of your truth, the eternal scriptures, speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In 1980, the world was a whole lot different place. Sports was uh, uh, big and growing, but there were only a few options to be able to watch. I'm a guy who likes sports. This past Friday night, I went to a UNLV basketball game with our connection class, and I haven't been to the Thomson Mack Center for several years. Growing up in Las Vegas, I was a big fan of the Running Rebels. I would watch KRLR TV 21 and watch every single game as the uh, not the Cubs, as the Rebels would play the, uh, play the Mount Big West. Monday nights, they would always have a game, and I would keep track, and I would watch Stacey Ogman and Larry Johnson and, and uh, David Butler and Moses Scurry and Greg Anthony and Anderson Hunt. And I remember when they won the national championship in 1990. There was bedlam in this place. And so Friday night, we went to a game, and uh, the Rebels haven't been as good as they were for several years, but it was fun to go to a game. There were about 5,000 people in the Thomas and Mac, and we just wanted to see a good game, and it was a great game. They were playing Air Force, and it was back and forth the entire time. And with 16 seconds to go, the Rebels were down by 
uh, by three points. They came down the court and they passed it off. They didn't go for a three-pointer. They dunked the ball and now there were nine seconds left on the clock and they stole the inbound pass. When they stole the inbound pass, they, they shot the ball, a short jumper. They missed it. They got the rebound. They put it back up. They missed the layup and with 1.8 seconds left, they tipped the ball in and our class and all 5,000 of us cheered like we had been following them all season long, like it was the best thing in the entire world. It's just a fun thing. I enjoy sports. And uh, in 1980, the country rallied together around the United States hockey team. For those of you who follow sports or like sports like I do, you would remember this. In fact, the 1980 hockey team was supposed to be dismissed early. They were just a group of ragtag players. No great names, no special abilities, just a couple of college kids who thought, hey, sure, we'll try out for the Olympic team. And when they did, they started doing things that no one thought they would ever do. They started winning, and they started winning. But there was no way that they could ever defeat the buzzsaw of the Soviet Union. You see, the Russian team that year had just been crushing international competition. And they were beating and defeating everybody. But in the, the medal round to decide who would go to the gold medal match, the Americans were playing even with them most of the game and then even went up and won the game. This is the gold medal ceremony because the Americans beat the Russians, would go to the gold medal game, and became the gold medal champions. If you remember or know about this story, say yes. It was said that the greatest sports call of all time was done by Mike, Al Michaels whenever this game was in its final few seconds. As the clock was ticking down and it looked like the Americans would beat the Soviets, Al Michaels, as he was counting down the clock at 10 seconds, 5 seconds, 3 seconds, at about 3 seconds, Al Michaels said this, Do you believe in miracles? And when the clock went to triple zeros, the place went into bedlam because the Americans had beaten the Russians. They said it was a miracle. It's called the miracle in ice. There was a Disney movie made about it because it was just an astounding feat of human accomplishment. Today, I want to talk to you about miracles because what the scripture that we just read says is that Elisha in Tomorrowland is asking Elijah for a double portion of his spirit. Elijah, you've done these things, but I want to excel. I want to see more done in my time. Oh, Elijah, I'm thankful for what God's done through your life, but I want to see him do more in my life. And so we're going to see three things. Number one, we're going to see living with miracles. Point number two in our bulletin, we'll see looking for miracles. And then number three, we'll look at learning from miracles. We have to define what a miracle is. And so for the basis of our study today, a miracle is going to be defined as this. This is from Encyclopedia Britannica, an unusual and mysterious event that is thought to have been caused by a god because it does not follow the usual laws of nature. The usual laws of nature say that water continues to flow, but it was a miracle when Moses parted the Red Sea. That was a miracle. The usual laws of nature say that when somebody is blind and have exhausted all medical resources, they will stay blind. But many times in Scripture, God opened the eyes of the blind. A miracle happens when somebody's in the grave for four days, as Lazarus was, and yet he stinketh. It's miraculous whenever Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth. 
and he hops out of the grave in his grave clothes. That is a miracle. Water typically stays very watery until Jesus turned it into wine. Water becomes wine. That's a miracle. A miracle is when God takes that which out is out of the ordinary circumstances of nature and intervenes supernaturally. We sit back and say, oh, that was a miracle. The time that we are in, in our study Tomorrowland, focuses on, we started several weeks ago, with a man by the name of Elijah. And Elijah said, there's problems going on in my country. There's problems going on in my society. God, and he goes to God, he prays. And as he prays, God starts to supernaturally work through his life. And though it doesn't always go the way he desires, the Bible tells us that there's political change, there's societal change, there's economic change, there's religious change. So at the time of Elijah's passing into glory, there is a whole nation that is crying out, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. By the time Elijah's time is done, there is not just one prophet, but there are schools of prophet going around. He lives in a time full of wonder. In fact, from the New Testament, you could look at Elijah as the gold standard of prophets. He is the elite of the elite of the prophets. Look at what the scripture says in the book of Luke. Luke chapter 1 and verse 17 says about Elijah, and he shall go before him in the spirit and the power of Elias. Elias is the Greek way of saying Elijah in the Hebrew. They're talking about John the Baptist. There's going to be a line of prophets. Elijah is the gold standard. He's the one everyone is measured by. Isaiah, good dude. Hosea, good dude. Uh, Enoch, good dude. But Elijah's the gold standard. When John the Baptist comes, he's going to measure up to the gold standard of where Elijah was. He's going to rival the power of this prophet Elijah. And Elijah brought in a wonderful time. If you have your bulletins, I want you to look on the back page, because on the back page, you will see that this is not only a time of wonder, where many miracles were done during the time of Elijah and Elisha. But if you look at the back of your bulletin, you will see a grocery list of the miracles that were done in between the 40 and 50 year tenure of ministry between these two gentlemen. While Elijah was alive, there on the left-hand column, you will see a list of miracles that were accomplished during his tenure. Remember, Elisha said, I want a double portion of those miracles. I don't want just whatever Elijah had. I want a double portion of your work and your wonder in my life. And so when you look on the right-hand side, hopefully you'll see just a whole list of different things because Elisha said, I want a double portion of thy spirit upon me, as is illustrated in 2 Kings chapter 2 and verse number 9. Take a few moments, look through that. Just see the wonders. See people who were sick being raised. See people who were dead being raised to life. See armies that should have never been defeated being, being wiped out by the miraculous hand of God. See, the God's, provi- see God's provision, not the God's. See God's provision through, um, through food. See God's provision through finances. Look at that list, and if you want to, look through it all week long and see how God gives wonderful miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle in a time of wonder, in a time of bounty. And what's fascinating is this is not only a wonderful time, it's not only a bountiful time, but it is a time of great harm. 
Because during the time of this writing, the Bible tells us there's a whole lot of crazy things going on. In 2 Kings chapter 3 and verse number 5, it gives us just a hint of all the crazy things that are happening in this time of wonder, in this time of bounty. It's also a harmful time. The Bible says this, but it came to pass when Ahab was dead, that the king of Moab, Moab rebelled against the king of Israel. What's happening during this time is we will see three different nations transition into a new king. It's a time of change. There's change and change and change and change. It's ripe for the miraculous. Not only is it a time of change, but it's a time of conflict. During this time where all these miracles are happening, there is war here. There is war here. There is servants rising up against masters. There is political deceit. There's armies conflicting against each other. In everyday news, you see army, Assyria, Moab, Ammon. They come and there's fighting and fighting. There's great conflict. There's great change. And there is compromise. Even though there has been national revival, there are good Christian men and women who are abandoning their morals and saying, it's not that bad. Oh, they're giving up what they know is true and saying, let's hold hands with those who would do what is wrong. And so in this time, the culture, the season, the generation is ripe for miracles. It is a time of miracles, and they are living in the miraculous. It seems very similar to our day. A time of change, a time of conflict, a time of compromise, understanding what is right, what is wrong, and hasn't our world changed? Doesn't it seem like our world changes almost every other year upon year upon year? Something's changed. Now we have, we have artificial intelligence. We have driverless cars. We have self-checkout. <laughs> the wonders do not cease of all the things that have come in and changed. We're in a time of transition. We're in a time of change. We're in a time of conflict. Has anyone seen the news this week? Anyone hear about a war anywhere? Okay. Okay, okay you have, because I've heard there's a couple of wars and problems going on. We're in a time of compromise. We're in a time where Christians, people who are supposed to be followers of the Word of God, are encouraged and sometimes even lauded upon to celebrate that which is wrong or that which is evil, to compromise, to do that which is wrong. In that season, it is an opportunity to live with miracles and see God demonstrate his power. And so, are we supposed to be looking for miracles? Should we in our life be taking time to say, God, you just got to do the miraculous. God, I'm going to sit here and wait for you to do the miraculous. It's not uncommon for us to want to have a superhero to fix everything for us. Back in the 1920s, a Superman was introduced to our modern culture. And these are just a few of the supermen that are actors that have played Superman, starting with Kirk Allen up there in the top right. He did the Superman serial. These are the ones that my dad and I, George Reeves, bottom right, we would watch the George Reeves Adventure of Superman. Each one of these supermen are uh, proportioned to the size of their impact or greatness as Superman, understanding Christopher Reeves, the greatest Superman of all time. <laughs> if you agree with me, say yes. All right, good. All those other people, who cares? All right? <laughs> but we're in this place where, as a society, we are encouraged. Look for the miracle. Let the miracle happen today. You can be 
the Superman. Oh, well, women were his kryptonite. Or finances were their kryptonite. Or transition was their kryptonite. Or, and all those different things. But you can be the Superman. And so we're looking for miracles. Back in 2004, this grilled cheese sandwich was a miracle. And it's miraculous because this grilled cheese sandwich sold for $28,000. In 2004, a Florida resident, Diana Dicer, sold this 10-year... It wasn't even a new grilled cheese sandwich. This was, this was an old grilled cheese sandwich from 19, 1994. No doubt it had Velveeta inside of it. <laughs> this 10-year-old grilled cheese sandwich sold for $28,000 because it's believed that if you look closely enough, you can see the Virgin Mary inside of the grilled cheese sandwich. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that glorious? With the power of the grilled cheese, you can do anything. (laughs) What's fascinating, when we go through the scriptures... Oftentimes, we look at the miracles of the scriptures and we say, oh God, would you do a miracle? Oh God, I want to see you work. Oh God, show yourself like you did in times past. God, would you please send a Superman? And God, I could use a grilled cheese sandwich right now. And we live our lives looking for the miracles, but there's explicit instructions about how we deal with miracles in the scripture. And that's what I want to challenge you about. Miracles are awesome works of God. Look at all the miracles that were accomplished by just two men in a 40, 50-year period of time. But God gives us some instructions about miracles. There were a group of people called the Pharisees. When Jesus was here on this earth, and Jesus did 37 recorded miracles in the New Testament that Jesus recorded. The Pharisees wanted to see a miracle. And they came to Jesus one day, and they came with the Sadducees, and I want you to see what the scripture says. Jesus' response was to them looking for a miracle. The Pharisees also with the Sadducees came and tempting desired him, Jesus, that he would show them a sign. The word sign is another word for miracle. Show us a sign from heaven. And notice what Jesus says. A wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. Oh, God, would you just show me a miracle? Jesus says, it's a wicked and adulterous generation that seeketh after a sign. Oh. He says, there will be no sign given them, but a sign of the prophet Jonas. And he left them and departed. Wow. Jesus, when confronted about those who are looking for a miracle, Jesus said, Why are you looking for a miracle? It's only a wicked and adulterous generation that looks for a miracle. Are you guys cheating on your spouses? No. Have you guys been robbing banks? No. Because it's wicked and adulterous generation that is seeking for a sign. There's a punished man who's seeking for a sign. Some of the saddest scriptures written are in Luke chapter 16. In Luke chapter 16, the Bible records an actual man and his testimony while he is in hell. Oh, hell is a real place. It's not a made-up, fictitious storybook, Grimm's fairy tale. It's a real place. And in Luke chapter 16, a person in hell 
is communicating to Abraham, who's in paradise. And he says to Abraham, he says, would you send somebody to, to put a drop of water on their finger and put it on my tongue because I am tormented in this flame. In a real place called hell, there is a real man who's experiencing real torment and he asks for comfort and Abraham says to him, I can't come and help you out. I can't go there and you can't come to me. There is no relief. And in his anguish, the punished man says, would you, would you please send Lazarus? There was a beggar who would, would soil his outside of his house with his presence. And that beggar, Lazarus, is in heaven. He says, would you send, would you send Lazarus back to earth to, to tell my four brothers? I don't want my four brothers to die and go to hell. It's so horrible. I don't want them to experience this. And Abraham says, no, I can't do that. Abraham says unto him, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, notice the man in hell is going to argue with Abraham, who is in heaven, on how a person should get to heaven. The dude in hell is going to tell the person in heaven how a person's going to get to heaven. Would you please send, would you please send Lazarus, let him rise from the dead, and then he can go and tell my four brothers so that they don't have to come to hell. Abraham says, let them hear them, and he saith, nay, Father, no, that's not going to work. <laughs> Your plan doesn't work. My plan will work. You're in hell. But if one went from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto them, if they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they persuaded, though one rise from the dead. Do you see what... Abraham says, even if the great miracle of someone rising from the dead were to take place in front of them, if they don't believe the explicit word of God, they won't believe the miraculous. I'm reminded every time I read this that there is one who rose from the dead. And yet many people still don't believe. The, the Pharisees were looking for a sign. The, the punished was saying, please send a sign. But then there was a pundit, a person who was an expert on the things of God. His name was Thomas. Thomas was confronted with the reality of Jesus. And all the disciples, save Judas, who had committed suicide, and Thomas saw the risen Christ after Jesus Christ finished paying for the sins of humanity through his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And he rose again. Jesus appears unto his disciples. Thomas is not present. And they come and they say to Thomas, 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 Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. Do you remember what Thomas's response was to them? Thomas says this, unless I put my hand in his side, and that's weird, Thomas. Don't put your hand in anybody's side. And I put my finger in the print of the nails. I will not believe. Oh, in a time where there's so much chaos and change and conflict and there's even compromise going on, God, would you send a miracle? What does God say about miracles? An adulterous and wicked generation looks for a miracle. And if they won't believe someone rose from the dead, 
they're not going to believe. If, if they don't believe the word of God, they won't believe even though someone rises from the dead. And even Thomas, who knew God and wanted to see the miraculous hand of God, is rebuked by our Savior. Jesus said to Thomas, this statement, let me read it to you in just a second. The Pharisees, the punished, and the pundits all saw a sign and disregarded the truth of God's word. Jesus said in John chapter 16 and verse 29 when he meets Thomas, Thomas, come here. You want to put your hand in my side? Oh, you want to put your finger in the holes in my hands? Notice what Jesus says. Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. Do you believe in Jesus Christ? Say yes. yes. If you believe Jesus died for your sins, say yes. yes. If you believe Jesus rose from the dead, say yes. yes. If you believe Jesus is coming again, say amen. amen. The Bible says you're blessed. You're blessed above Thomas. Now, I don't know what that all means, just to be honest with you. I don't know what that means exactly in every sense. But you've never seen Jesus. In fact, if you come to me and say, I saw Jesus last night, we'll have a private conversation. Because <laughs> you've never seen Jesus. Jesus is in heaven. The Bible says in John chapter 14, I go to prepare a place for you. And there I go. Uh, you know, in the way you know, Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how shall we know the way? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. Oh, where is Jesus right now? He's in heaven. And he's preparing a place for all those who trust in him. Do you trust in Jesus? Then Jesus is right now preparing a place for you. That's pretty cool. But you've never seen him. Do you believe in Jesus? If you do, say yes. yes. Then you're blessed. There's, there's a blessing there. They that have not seen and yet believe. Now, this is what struck me about this. Because as you look at all the miracles, look it up, that's awesome, that's awesome, 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 that one's okay, but that one's really awesome. These are miracles of Almighty God. And as we see all of these miracles of God, it might put into our heart the idea that we should be praying for a miracle and praying for a miracle and praying for a miracle. But these people were living with miracles, but those who were looking for a miracle were, were rebuked. The, the Pharisees were rebuked. The punished were rebuked. And even the pundit, he was rebuked by Jesus and says, you have to see a miracle in order to believe? So what do we learn from miracles? Well, number one, we realize this, that faith moves mountains. I told you earlier today as I was driving in, I live in the north, I was driving from 215 and we take that big loop onto 95 South. And I looked over at Mount Charleston on the right and Mount Charleston has been there for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. When my grandfather first came to this valley in the early 1950s, Mount Charleston looked exactly the same as it does today. And whenever I die, and my son dies, and my great-grandson dies, Mount Charleston will still look the same. Because it doesn't move. It's a mountain, for crying out loud. Unless someone with faith moves it. Because faith moves mountains. What is faith? Faith is believing God and obeying Him. We make too much of faith, I think, sometimes. 
I think sometimes we say, just get the faith. And almost like a, a person in a, a, a gymnasium trying to put five more pounds on so that they can have their personal record, I now have more faith. And we're trying to lift something up over our head. That's not the way faith works. Faith isn't about you getting your PR, your personal record, your personal best. You're maxing out. Are you maxing out your faith? Take this drug and you will max out your faith. Try this 800 number, max out your faith. See results like never before, max out your faith. That's not faith. Faith is believing God and obeying Him. Believing God about what? Whatever He says. Faith is believing God and obeying Him. Faith is husbands love your wives even as Christ loved the church. Well, I'm going to be a man of faith. Then buy your wife flowers. What? Is that what the Bible says? Not exactly that way. But I'll tell you, if you buy your wife flowers, you're loving her like Christ loved the church. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church. What is faith? Buy your wife flowers. What is faith? Be ye kind one to another. Oh, You see, when you act rude, mean, obtuse, Italian, (laughs) when you act however you are acting and it's unkind, it's not living by faith. Be ye kind one to another. Be tenderhearted. You know what that means? When you see somebody who's hurting, you think, oh, not they're getting what they deserve. Huh, that's what they get. Fell down the stairs again. (laughs) It's not faith. In fact, it's the opposite of faith. Forgiving one another. Is there anybody who you have not forgiven? In unforgiveness, there is no faith. Well, I'm just waiting for them. Oh, yeah, because the Bible says forgive whenever they come to you, right? It's not what it says. It says be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving. See, the Scripture says live by faith. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of thy mouth, but that which is edifying to man. Oh, what does that mean? Watch your language. Don't say naughty words. Well, I just say naughty words sometimes because I, I, I grew up in a naughty place. Stop it. Live by faith. See, faith is believing God and obeying Him. In everything, give thanks. Americans today, in everything, give complaints. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God. Flee fornication. Stay away from sexual sin. Oh, wow, wow, do I, I don't. But we love each other. We're living with each other, and, and we're planning on getting married. Then get married. Live by faith, right? See, faith is believing God and obeying Him. Fathers, bring your children up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. A man who lives by faith leaves his cell phone at the door and has dinner with his family. 
rather than sending text messages and checking out the scores or the stock prices. It's living by faith. Living by faith is brushing your teeth and doing your laundry. It's just doing what God... Why? Because the Bible says, let everything be done decently and in order. I'm not going to try to shame you, but is your laundry decent and in order right now? Don't raise your hand, because I can't. (laughs) See, living by faith is just doing what God wants you to do today. It's paying your bill on time. When you signed your name for that car payment for 60 or 72 months, it's making that payment every single month. That's living by faith because you do not bear false witness. I live by faith, right? It's living by faith. I signed my name to a lease. I signed my name to an agreement. I live by faith. Faith is believing God and obeying him. And what does faith do? Faith moves mountains. Notice what the scripture says. Though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mystery and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, faith so big, oh, I've got my personal best of faith today. No, the amount matters not. Faith as this grain of mustard seed so that I could remove mountains. Faith moves mountains. But notice how faith works. Faith works when you focus on monotony. He says, I could move mountains and I have not charity. I don't have love. I'm nothing. Notice what the scripture says. Remember, Elijah is the gold standard of prophets. If you were to rank the prophets, you'd be like, Elijah, Jonah, Nahum, Ezekiel. He's right up there at the top. Notice what the great work is that John the Baptist was to model from Elijah. He shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias, that's the Greek word for Elijah in the Hebrew, to turn the hearts of the father to the children. Do you know what the great work of Elijah was? It was not fire from heaven. It was not crossing the Jordan River with waters hither and thither. The great work of Elijah was a dad loving his son. The great power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. If you got a kid, you can be doing the power of God. And the power of God is not found in a noble thing or a tweet that goes viral or in closing that great big deal. The power of God is in you loving your kids, having a tea party or a Lego bash, a Nerf war, or a soccer game. That's the power of God. What are the great things that the New Testament heralds about Elijah? Oh, he taught dads to love their kids and to be the right type of dad, to be the right type of man. That's where the power of God is found. Changes the world. Literally changes the world when a man loves his wife, takes care of his family, and nurtures his children. How many, dad, how many problems would be fixed in subways in New York cities and school districts across the country 
If, if kids knew that if they fi- their dad finds out about what they did, it will not go well with them. A man changing his family changes the world. Notice the second thing. This is, not, this is not science. This is not great, miraculous things. It's just you sit down and have a meal. We're going to have an In-N-Out burger. We're going to raise canes together. And as I do, we're going to talk about baseball, and we're going to talk about morality, and we're going to talk about politics, and we're going to talk about the way you treat a young lady, and we're going to talk about how you sit down and you sit still. You sit still when you're in a restaurant. You do not put French fries in your nose. You wait till we get home to do that, but you do not do it here. And it's a dad teaching his kid how to behave. Notice the second thing, the power of Elijah, the miracles of Elijah were seen when the disobedient and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. What's that mean? When you see something wrong, you call it out. Oh, that's wrong. Well, who am I to say? I can't say anything about what other people do. No, you have the privilege of speaking truth. You have this privilege of speaking truth. You should not do that. You should not do that. That is bad. That is wrong. Now, you don't have to be the social justice warrior all over the world, but whenever there is wrong, God calls us to speak truth and to say, that's not good. That's not right. Well, they align with me politically. doesn't matter. It's still not good. It's still not right. And to make ready people prepared for the Lord. Are you ready to meet the Lord? If this afternoon you were to stand in the presence of God, are you ready to meet the Lord? It's a really good question, isn't it? Because when you live in light of eternity, it changes a lot of what you watch on TV and the posts that you share and maybe the people that you hang out with and the words that you say. Are you ready to meet? Are you prepared to meet the Lord? Great, great follow-up question. Have you helped anyone else prepare to meet the Lord? I read a statistic that each week, Americans on average interact with 60 new people every week. There were 60 strangers that on average you interacted with this week at a store, at a, a, a restaurant, in some way or fashion, you met 60 new people this week. Do any of those 60 new people know about your Jesus? Did you help them prepare to meet the Lord? See, that changes the world. Faith moves mountains, and God calls us in faith to focus on monotony. Our Tuesday night dinners, our Thursday afternoon activities, our Saturday morning schedules, it is folk. Well, we're, we're waiting for a big miracle. That's not how the world has changed. The world has changed by... Tuesday afternoons and Friday, after, Friday mornings and going to church week after week after week after week after week after week. The Bible tells us when the power of God came upon his people in Acts chapter 1, he says, you shall receive the Holy Spirit, and after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, you shall be what? What's the next word? Witnesses. See, there's a world that needs to know about Jesus. They don't need to know about, did you see the grilled cheese sandwich? Isn't that awesome? And they don't, can I just tell you, the world doesn't need another superhero. 
I've got lost in so many different multiverses, I don't even know where we are today. The world doesn't need another superhero, but you know what changes the world? When a man or woman by faith says, would you like to come to church? Do you know Jesus? He changed my life. And they speak about the miraculous. If you're saved this morning, say yes. Yes. Then something miraculous happened in your life. Because, Greg, you don't deserve to go to heaven. You know it. I'm not saying anything to shame you because you know I don't deserve to go to heaven, right? But God loves you. Steve, one one of my dearest favorite people in the world, but you don't deserve to go to heaven. And neither do I. But God loves you, and he loves you enough that he let his son take nails in his hands. It's pretty miraculous. Isn't that, Tony? That God loves you. You know what a creep you are. I think you're a good guy. But you know what a creep you are. And God knows what a sin. The Bible says this, but God commended his love towards us and that while we were yet what? Sinners. He knows what kind, of, what kind of creeps we are. And yet, Dave, he saved you, Dave. You don't deserve salvation, but he saved you. It's pretty amazing, isn't it? Nathan, he loves you. What is there to love? And I don't say that to be salty or mean. You know it. You're messed up. You're like me. We're broken. But he saved you. That's miraculous. And maybe that miracle should be shared with whoever you interact with this week. Right, Seth? And that's how the world's changed. The world's not changed by, well, when we see a bolt of lightning come from heaven, okay, cool. If we see somebody raised from the dead, maybe then. I challenge you that all the bolts of lightning, they have fallen from heaven and people have risen from the dead. And in our generation, this world is stuck with people like Laura and Matt and Phyllis and Matt and Susan. It's stuck with us just telling the people of the wonder of God's word. And we love our families. And we pay our bills. And we speak out for truth because the Bible tells us to speak out for truth. And, and, and not only do we speak out for truth, we tell people about Jesus. The world is looking for miracles. And even in a season where there were many miracles, that was not the great power. Notice the lesson. Elisha lived 70 years, give or take. He had 36 miracles. That means on average, every other year there was a miracle. That's pretty good. But most of his days were filled, even Elisha, most of his days were filled with Tuesday afternoons. Most of his days were filled with the pursuit of everyday life. So if that's the truth, maybe God's giving us a pattern to live by. Because there were a whole lot of days when Elisha was just praying, and there was a whole lot of days when Elisha was just doing food prep and eating hummus and, and taking care of the plumbing, if there were plumbing. He was just taking care of the business of his day, and as he was t- doing that, he was doing it to the glory of God. He was living right. He was honoring his Savior. He was preparing others to meet their Savior, and that's how God wants us to live. Al Michaels finished that quote. Do you believe in miracles? And when it went to triple zeros, Al Michaels said, yes. Let me ask you, church, do you believe in miracles? Oh, so do I. But the greatest miracle that is lived is when a sinner saved by grace loves his wife, loves his family, 
takes care of his business, and shares with people the wonderful news of his Savior. That's the miracle you're called to live. Maybe someday God will call you to bring fire from heaven. Maybe he will. Maybe someday God will call you to turn water into wine. Maybe. But I don't know about all of that. I do know this, that some of you have tests this week that you need to take. Then study for them and be prepared. Some of you have assignments at work, deadlines that you're supposed to meet. Crush them. Crush them well. All of you have a time when you're supposed to be on time to work. Be on time. All of you have a meal with a family member this week. Then put the phone away and have a good meal with that family member. See, and that's the way we change the world. Do you believe in miracles? Yes. And in Tomorrowland, it wasn't the miraculous, it wasn't the transformative, it was the God of the universe who in a time of change, a time of conflict, in a time of compromise, was sharing forth his word. That's how the world changes. And God wants us to live in Tomorrowland as well. Father, thank you for your word and the truth that's given to us, the example of Elijah and Elisha, May we live in light of its truths and honor it with our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. We hope that message was an encouragement to your heart. Now for weekly updates and for information about Liberty Baptist Church, be sure to follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook at LBC of Las Vegas. Well, that's it for today. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, God bless.